Hi, this is Deborah, your podcast host for A Positive Influence. Today, we're going to talk about people with physical disabilities, and I'm joined by two young wheelchair users, Charlie Randall and Andre Valdez, both with cerebral palsy. Charlie, together with his girlfriend, Gina, have set up a YouTube channel called Not Quite Politically Correct, totally love the name, to help others in similar situations overcome a variety of difficulties being physically challenged to use the PC term, focusing on disabled lifestyle and fitness. Charlie also works with Andre on making businesses aware of disability needs. So thank you, Charlie and Andre, so much for joining me today. Welcome. Guys, welcome. Hello. Are we there? Hello. Yes. <laughs> we're here. We're right. here. <laughs> okay. I, okay. I just have a quick counter question, that, and I'm sorry for doing you this. You do? Well, we're recording. Have we press record? Have yes. Record? I have press record, you cheeky monkey. Okay. So we now have okay. that on the recording. I just wanted to make sure because I didn't see it on my screen. So I was no, no, it's on my yeah. screen. Okay, okay, Andre. Right. So for the listeners, we're just going to do a bit of background about cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy is an umbrella term for a type of physical disability caused by damage to the brain which can occur before, during or immediately after birth. In addition to how your movement is affected, it can also cause problems with things like attention, emotions, language, ability to learn, eating and drinking and visual perceptual skills, including sensory loss, particularly hearing and vision. It can also include epilepsy, autism and ADHD. Well, that's rather a long list, isn't it, you guys? Now then, okay, who's got the most? Come on, a bit of a challenge here. Come on, Charlie, let's start with you. How how are Um, you affected? So mine mine and Andre's uh, cerebral palsy is fairly similar. Andre's just slightly more able than me. So for me, I'm a full-time wheelchair user. I have to use aids throughout like my day-to-day, so whether that be a walking frame or the majority of my time is spent in a wheelchair. Um, so that's sort of my main bulk of my mobility aids. And then in terms of how it affects me, I basically just have no balance. So if you stood me <laughs> up, I'd fall straight over. I have random spasms, so I'll randomly like twitch or my feet will kick out or it just basically the bottom half of my body just doesn't pay attention <laughs> to what I want it to do. Um, so sometimes like signals take longer to get down there in terms of if I want to move my right foot, it takes a little bit longer for the signal to get down there to go, okay, this is what you want. Delayed to do. reaction, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then other than that, it's basically just literally my balance. So like my core stability in terms of sitting up takes a lot of work. Um, So I maybe lean to one side every now and again. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Apart from the fact of not being able to walk, I'm pretty much your average Joe. Oh, bless you, Charlie. That's great. Okay, (laughs) Andre, we're going to go ask you a question. What age were you when you became aware of your disability? So according to my parents, I've had disabilities since I was born, but when I became aware of it was basically throughout, you know, education is when you realized, you know, people started treating you differently than the average Joe. And that's how you started realizing, okay, there is literally, to put it in blunt terms, something different about me. And that makes you start asking questions about yourself, like, why is it? And, uh, you know, looking for that question of why is it, it helps you become more conscious of the fact that, you know, due to the fact of a brain damage, you can have an, an effect that's called cerebral palsy, and that causes you not to be able to walk, as well as other people, and that that causes a lot of social effects. So for me, it was at the age of education, throughout my teenage years, you got to notice it more and more and more, especially when you start 
going to parties and realizing people <laughs> are having a lot easier time going up the stairs than you are. Oh, bless. <laughs> oh, did, yeah. Was it the same for you, Charlie? I mean, how did your mum and dad cope, for example? Um, so my story's a little bit different. A lot of people are born um, with cerebral palsy, whereas I, I was born 10 weeks premature and caught a throat infection, which then led to me stopping breathing, um, which then led to obviously cerebral palsy. But in terms of like how it affects me, I'm very similar. My parents kind of went down the route of, look, he's going to be treated the same as everyone else. And that's sort of given me the, the stance that I have on it now of, look, I've just got to find a way around it. But like Andre said, it mainly started coming into the fold when I ended up into my like teens and sort of early adulthood. That's when it really started to flare up because you start going into, as they parties, dating, work, that when that stuff gets in, you're very protected I feel in the UK when it comes to schools, schools try and be in, in, as inclusive as they can be. Yes, okay, yeah. there are elements of places where we could be better. But in terms of like your experience, in terms of if you've got cerebral palsy similar to us, you're you're quite protected. So you don't really see that difference. Whereas when you start going to like secondary school, that's when you really see the difference because you get treated differently. You need extra support. And then obviously as you go into adulthood, it does get a little bit more highlighted than it did when you were younger. Yeah. To to put it in even simpler terms, it's like the younger you are, the bigger your bubble is, and that bubble is kind of prepared and accessible for you. But the older you get, the further out of that bubble you go, the less accessible it becomes and the more you're confronted with the fact that you have a disability. Oh, it must be so difficult. I mean, for an able-bodied person to just try and even consider the, the difficulties you must encounter every day, and the misunderstandings that you must come across and the incorrect perceptions that able-bodied people assume. You know, for example, walking along someone go, oh, poor him or poor her. Well, in fact, you're actually probably not poor. You're probably very rich and fulfilled in many ways. And able-bodied people just take this for granted. Um, I mean, how do you manage with other people's attitudes in public? And the, what sort of questions do they do they ask you? Charlie, go on, start away. <laughs> the the questions I think it's all down to curiosity so loads of it comes from people just not understanding and the questions vary uh, a lot of them go into very personal things as as I've mentioned already dating's quite a common one that one's off, off the, the first one that people go to because it's I don't know probably the place that most people are most guarded and then it's off, other things like oh can he talk the often uh, common misconception I get is oh, does he take sugar? And it's like, uh, ask him. <laughs> he can answer the question. Um, so that's a common one, is that whole thing of, are they able to, are people with cerebral palsy able to think for themselves? Do they have an opinion? And do they just sort of have normal responses? Or do I need to treat this person ultra special? When actually, when people notice that I can talk, they probably say I talk too much. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that, I think that's the big one is people thinking um, thinking that you can't think for yourself works a common question as well. How do you work? Like, how was school for you? W what happened to you is a common one. That one's another. What happened to you thinking that I've been hit by a car or something? That's another one. <laughs> right. Uh, there's loads of common misconceptions, but I think the most common ones are work, dating, and are you able to think for yourself? Okay. And, and Andre. And the question of... Oh, sorry. Yeah, Andre, yeah, go on. No, you fire away, sweetheart. What about you? Yeah. What silly questions have people said to you? 
So, so I just wanted to expand on the one that Charlie said, especially because the what happened to you usually become comes before "Hi, how are you?" Oh like, no! That's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like the yeah. first thing that people ask. They yep. see you, and that is literally the first thing that they ask. And <laughs> um, the the questions can can really uh, worry. And one of the one of the I think this is one of the most common ones that Charlie and I have experienced is, of course, like the you know what's happened to you, and especially like. Can I get this too, or is this contagious? That one yeah. is oh, like yeah. has been a question within, um, you know, say for example, uh, classrooms or work environments is like, hey, yeah. can this happen to me too? Yeah. Or if I'm if I'm sticking around you, can this happen to me too? And uh, there are there are a boatload of questions, but it boils down to a lack of education because if we look at the education around disability, it's still eighty to hundred years behind of what actually is going on and is a, people with disability are able to do. I mean, and it's understandable because it's not really spoken about because people are ashamed to speak about it. People who are who who have children with disability often don't know how to deal with the fact that they have children that have a disability and they don't know how to communicate it to the outside world until they get into specific groups that also have a disability and then they learn to cope with it better and then the other way around when kids with disability come into school it's like hey don't don't approach him on his disability or don't look at his disability don't ask him these questions and as a result there's a level of mystery around us and we only have the references of mainstream media. So it's usually a, a wheelchair driver, a rain man. What, what are our other famous movies? My Best Friend or something yeah, like that? Yeah, there's, lo- there's, lo- there's loads. There's Blind Side. There's, there's, but coming on to the point that Andre made, it's that yes. whole thing of it's still, disability is still treated as a dirty word. Like, don't yeah. ask them about it. Don't speak about it. It's the elephant in the room. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. Whereas that's a lot of what, particularly my work in that space, with not quite politically correct, surrounds in terms of breaking the stigma to be like, look, let's just talk about it as two normal human beings. Let's not talk about it as, oh, we've got to make sure we're using the right terms or we make sure that we're doing this right, this wrong. Whereas I'm very much of the view of, Let's get in, have the conversation, and I can sort out the bits I need to change once I've had the conversation with you. Charlie, that's very interesting because I think that's that's part of the reticence. So I wouldn't want to say something perhaps not quite correct if I was having a conversation with you guys and think, oh, I don't want to to cause offence. Or I... So I think it's lovely that with your not quite politically correct attitude is that, look, just say it how it is. You're not going to offend me. Let's talk about it, you know, which is what we're doing yeah. today. No holds barred. You know, let's just talk about it. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's I think it's crazy, especially in this day and age where everything in a broad spectrum is embraced that disability can't be discussed in the classroom or can't be discussed in the workplace and that people are just so scared about upsetting people with disabilities and not being able to talk about it. So we're going to come on later to how you're helping businesses in that respect. So we'll we'll come on to that shortly. So we've gone... we've gone through some of the silly questions people ask and especially the dating one I mean it is just an inevitable question that uh, that people tend to ask if somebody asked me how I had sex I'd tell them it's none of their business and anyway anyway intimacy comes in many shapes and forms so it's it's just a a crazy hang-up that that I think able-bodied people have I listened to one of your videos, Charlie, how you dealt with it. And I thought that was quite amusing. I mean, if someone says to you, 
you know, Charlie, how do you have sex? What's your response? Uh, how long have you got? <laughs> no, okay, come on, Charlie, in a nutshell, just in a nutshell. Um, What's your initial uh, reaction? Mind your own business or do you know I, something, I think, it's great or? For me, it's a, for me, I often use it as a conversation starter because as well, I'm always very conscious of if I shut that conversation down really aggressively, then it closes the door and that also becomes the misconception that people have surrounding disabilities. That's why I am so open is because my constant fear is if I don't respond in an appropriate way for the disabled community, then that's going to be the brush that everyone is brushed with. Oh, um, right. Yeah, like that. So, that yeah. so that's common, commonly the route that I go down. So I don't really get offended by it. Obviously, initially, <laughs> when, when my me and my partner first started dating, it was a bit of like, oh, do we want to talk about it? Do we not? And see, now I've done pieces surrounding it, and it's commonly, I've commonly spoke about it. So for me, I have no quick no qualms with answering the question because realistically if i didn't want to answer it i can just point them in the direction of some of my content that i've done surrounding <laughs> it so for me it's it's not a taboo subject because one it, it's something that people want to know about and also to if the more i can educate on it the less it will be asked of us absolutely so that's... charlie that's a great answer like that that's really cool what about you andre come on and then we move on to another subject uh, the same the same principle and one thing i wanted to add is people with disability are an in interesting situation because however we react to someone's question will be their perception of how all people with disability are so i oh, i must yes. of see it as, yeah. as my responsibility to be a representative in that situation to, you know, calmly accept the question, not as an offense, but a lack of education, and, and then to do my best to educate, right? Because it's cool. not coming from a, a, a source of how some people would say, hey, you're trying to put me down. It's coming from a source of, I really don't know what's going on. And, and it might be different for you. So I also answer these questions openly, even though to the dismay of my wife, she, she was like, I can't believe you just shared that. And I'm like, well, I need to because if I don't share it, this person's going to go home thinking that yeah. they can't talk to people with disabilities. Right? Yes. And yeah. I think education is what it's all about, Andre. Yeah. It, it, it really is. And both you guys, you're great. You're going about it the right way in an open manner. And it's fabulous. And it's wonderful to hear that you're both in loving relationships. And it, it's, it's fantastic. So now we're going to come on for uh, concerns for employers and applying for jobs. Now, when I was applying for jobs, I've come across ageism because I'm 60. However, disability is even harder, not just as the applicant, but for employers, as there's so much of the unknown. For example, if I was an employer to accommodate a disabled employee, I would think to myself, oh, I've got to make special facilities and access by law. Uh, what about the costs involved? Are there government grants? Uh, what if they can't do the job? How can I ask them to leave without being prejudiced? Uh, some jobs are not suitable for physically disabled people. How do I avoid discrimination if someone applies who's disabled? What will my customers think if I employ them? And how will other staff react? Oh, I don't want to lose so-and-so uh, who is good in, at his, her job. Sorry about the list there. But those, as an employer, those, I think, are some of the questions that will come up. So, Andre, start us off there. So how can an, how can a, an employer become more educated and find a way forward? So I'll start you off with the same question that we ask every employer whenever they come to us with those concerns. And okay. that is... 
When I say the word disability, what do you imagine? Now, for the sake of the podcast, I'm going to just answer the question for, for like the majority of people, what they answer. They imagine someone who's in a wheelchair, not able to do most of the physical labor or not able to react as fast as someone else, because that's the image of disability that most people have. But the truth is, disability in itself has such variety that there are, that there are even subsets of disabilities that don't need accommodation as much as this person is imagining. So the first thing that we do with every employer is we educate them on what disability actually is. And I know that sounds very simple, but it's very important because from there, we can then look at the job that this person is trying to fill, regardless if it's a person with a disability or not, and say, okay, as we've discussed, these people with these disabilities fit the profile of the job's needs and the other way around too, the job's needs fits the profile of the disability. Okay. And as a result, the adjustments that actually need to be made can be reduced. And as a result, these imaginary, the imaginary <laughs> costs that employers use as an excuse don't exist because these, these imaginary costs come from people who've had someone in their family or their relation or their network that they said, hey, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to employ you. I don't know how. And then it didn't work. Right. It didn't right. work to the to the way that both parties imagined. And then the image in the employer's head is, oh, this doesn't work. I'd better this is too much investment for the for the benefit that I get from a business perspective. No harm intended, right? Yes. And the other way around too, the person with disability then starts thinking, oh, I can't do jobs because of my disability. I'd rather just stay on government aid or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it has a lot to do with self-esteem as well on the on the side of people with disability. Now uh, as Charlie can tell you, in in in, England, in Britain, there's a lot of governmental support, access to work, and other um, subsidies that support employers in employing people with disability by covering some of the costs that might be incurred, right? So the cost itself isn't an argument. It's more about, do you understand the ramifications of, of what your thought, your belief system is doing towards your ability to hire great employees? Right. And that's right. that's what it's really it's about. education predominantly, mm -hmm. because, there, as you say, there are many different types of disabilities. And therefore, by saying to the employer, well, look, uh, this job, this disability is OK, this job, this disability is OK. And sort of having almost having a chart where, that you can refer to, to to actually help them employ people with disabilities that are quite capable of doing that particular role. Uh, Charlie, we're coming to you now with regards to your endeavours for the business yep. and community. Could you tell me a bit about what you've been doing? So my space really is to really highlight from the from the community side of things in terms of I'm very involved in the disabled space when it comes to social media and marketing. So it's about really listening to the voice of the disabled individuals going, this is what we want to see. So it's really bringing in that sort of lived experience because the difference between and i'm sure andre won't mind me saying is andre has a, begun his career very much in the entrepreneurial space whereas i've definitely got some lived experience of what the recruitment process is like as a disabled person and i can say that at present it is nowhere near as good as it needs to be and all of that comes from a lack of communication between both parties of the employer and the in, the interviewee employee however you want to view it because it's the same as what we said earlier we need to get rid of this whole 
obviously there is a certain level of professionalism that you need to keep, but there is no reason that the dialogue can't be opened between both parties of going, look, we'd love to have you for the job, but what what do you need help with? Because yeah. the person that's best qualified to tell you what support they need is the person <laughs> directly, but everyone is really scared of doing that. So my, my space in this is literally to try and break that stereo so I can be that voice to say, look, open the dialogue and and speak to the individual that you need to speak to. Like one of my favourite things that Andre came up with ages ago when we were first coming up with this idea is actually everyone has a dis... 95% of people have a disability. I've got them now. We all wear glasses. Yep. And that is a reasonable adjustment, but no one sees it as... A disability. As right, right. And so it's really showing that just because someone's got a disability doesn't mean that they can't work. It's really breaking down that stereotype. And that's where I come in. It's kind of... You're quite right. You're quite right. Because like bigger. listening is a, is a disability. People don't listen enough. That's a disability, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we've, yeah. All got, we've all got disabilities and things that we're not good at as well, which is, you know, it's, it's a different way of saying it. Um, so... Tell me, we'll start with Andre. What are your goals in, uh, say, the next five years, Andre? Uh, so my goals can be summed up really simply. My goal, and this is why we're building the company Haven Project together, Charlie and I, it's to create a world in where anyone who wants to work can work in companies that uh, they love and in teams that respect each other. That's it. Lovely. That's my goal for the next five years, and, and that's what we're working on right now. Fantastic. And Charlie, what's your goal? Our goals are extremely similar. It's literally just getting rid of this issue of making the recruitment process painful and unnecessary for disabled people. But I think as well, for me, there's an element of it of wanting to be a voice for the disabled community in terms of almost a backstop for them, of going, they don't know where to turn, us being the place where they can turn. So that's really where I want to be. I want us to be really in the community and really fighting for an even playing field because that's what we all, we all want and we all want an even playing field and and good working environments and really solid teams when it comes to working and it's a pretty simple goal when you look at it from a bird's eye view brilliant charlie now then guys i'm just going to finish off about holidays okay now um when i was running my real estate business in the algarve i sold an old hotel property to a businessman who created and established a holiday center where disabled children and their families can go on holiday with all the necessary facilities to hand. And it was an incredible venture, which he runs this alongside a taxi service in the UK, taking disabled children to school. Um, I also hope to interview him shortly, having interviewed you guys. And this is something I think that's really important because you guys, how on earth do you cope when you go on holiday? Andre? So I've actually been living like a nomad for the last two years. I've been literally solo traveling and then traveling with my wife across multiple countries. And um, it's a challenge and it's about understanding your disability and your needs and then finding the right tools to, to solve that. And our endeavor, Charlie's and ours, actually started with helping people travel more, but then we realized they can't travel more because they don't have the resources to buy the tools they need. And that's when we realized, okay, there's a problem with the jobs. Okay. And so, yeah. to sum it up, it's about the tools that you have available. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. You need a job to have the income to travel. Yeah. Okay. And Charlie, what about you? What are your experiences with traveling? 
I think it's, it's very similar to what Andre said in terms of having the tools to be able to travel, especially because a lot of the time there are assistive technology out there to help disabled people travel, particularly those of us that have physical disabilities. And it's about having access to those tools to make that whole travel experience a lot more enjoyable. Because at the end of the day, most of us travel for leisure. Most of us travel for the experience. And you're not able to dive into that with without that support. So for me, it is literally, so one of the big things I always shout about is I've got a front wheel attachment that attaches to the front of my chair. It essentially turns my chair into an electric wheelchair. But that that investment has given me so much freedom. And it's about, for me, it's showing people what is out there to support you, like these places that provide accessible accommodation and places that provide accessible transport. So it's for me, it's all about knowledge. The more you know, the more research you do, the better positioned you are. And that's what people don't realise. When you travel with a disability, the amount of research that you have to do is quite frankly painful, <laughs> but without it, we can't do it. No. And that's okay. the worst thing. Is everyone go, oh, why don't you just pop to Thailand? And like, <laughs> that, that, that doesn't work. No. It doesn't work for us. So oh, that's the whole thing for me. It's just research, research, research. Um, yeah. I must admit, Andre is a lot more impulsive than me. Yeah. But yeah, for me, it's a, a lot more about research and really knowing what you're going into. Because the other thing as well, and that comes into recruitment as well, is the social anxiety that comes with both of those scenarios. When it comes to travelling, whether you're going to arrive and your wheelchair's mangled or you're not going to be accepted by your employer because you're different. Charlie, we, we, thank we, you. <laughs> Sorry, Andre, go on. Yeah, we could talk about this an hour because there's so much nuance to it. Uh, but it's definitely about the fact that you know, everything that Charlie said, and also that most places are not accessible. And that's why the tools are necessary. Of yeah. course, of course. Listen, both yeah. of you, been amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much, Andre. Thank you as well. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's been fantastic having Charlie and Andre here today and their insight and knowledge is fantastic. They're both making a real difference and helping others and the community by improving awareness for disabled needs. More information can be found on Charlie and Gina's website, Not Quite Politically Correct, which can be found at nqpc.co.uk and Andre Valdez can be found on LinkedIn. This is Deborah signing off.